If you have your Bible this morning, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians, and we are very close to finishing uh, this book. Uh, We will finish up next Sunday, uh, and then on the 11th, uh, Casey uh, Evans is going to be preaching for us for his final Sunday uh, here on our staff this summer. And then when we get into August uh, on the 18th, uh, we are going to begin looking in the Psalms, and we're going to spend seven Sundays looking at seven different Psalms. So it's seven Sundays in the Psalms, and that's about as much alliteration as you're going to ever get from me, so, uh, so treasure it while you have it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 21. When you have that, if you'll stand with me in reverence to God's Word. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because there are members of his body. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their their master and yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. You may be seated this morning. I would say that this passage is one that has been very misunderstood. I want to tell you three quick stories, which I normally don't do, but I think they're, they're actually pretty, pretty important. The first, a few weeks ago, I was set to do a wedding. It's a couple that I didn't know very well. I had spent some time with them at at my previous church, and they had come, uh, some, they came, well, not that often, but every now and then, and they decided they wanted to get married. 
And so since I don't live there anymore, I had arranged for another pastor to do marriage counseling with them, and he had done so, and, and we were to the day of the rehearsal. And during the week, the, the bride-to-be and I had exchanged some uh, messages back and forth as we were working on the vows that they would exchange to each other, and probably one or two o'clock in the afternoon with the rehearsal at six, I get a message from her, and she says, I, I, I like the vows, but there's a part in there where, where I say that I'll submit to my husband, and I, I don't know that I want that in there. And so I wrote her back, and I said, well, it's kind of from the Bible. Is there a reason why? And she wrote me back, and this is at two o'clock. I don't know Casey was there, two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and she said, well, I'm going to go with someone else. I don't really know how it's possible four hours before the rehearsal, but she found somebody who apparently would do that. And it was over that word. She didn't like it. Second story. A few years ago, I was sitting in my office, and I got a phone call. And it was a young youth pastor from our community, and he said, he said Pastor, you don't know me, but my marriage is in trouble. I said, okay, what's going on? He said, my wife and I are having a lot of problems. We're having problems with, uh, with our family, and, and, and our, our children are involved, and, and I, I really need to talk to somebody because I, I, I need some help. I want to save my marriage. I said, okay. I said, can you come meet with me? So I call up a, another pastor, oddly enough, the guy who did the marriage counseling in the first story, who is much better at it than I am. And I called him up and I said, this is the situation where you come help. So he and I sit down with this youth pastor. And he seems broken. He, his marriage is in serious trouble. And he is, he is younger than I am. And he has small children and he's in the ministry. And he's worried about his marriage ending. And so we begin to talk and we ask him about himself. And we ask him about his wife. And then it comes to the crux of the problem. And he says, the, our biggest problem, the problem that drives me crazy in our marriage, that, that is causing all of our tension, is that my wife will not submit to me. And I thought my buddy was going to reach across the table and knock the guy out of his chair, because that's kind of how he does his counseling, and that's what he needed. But we went on, and, and, and everything... Every problem he pointed back to, he said, well, if my wife would submit to me, that would take care of our problems. He didn't come back for a second round of counseling because it just wasn't working. Third story. This is the funny one. I bought some commentaries one time out of the back of a van. Now, let me tell you, that's not the best place to buy Bible commentaries. I was in, went to this lady's house, and back behind her house was a van with no wheels and tires, and out of the back of it, she was selling commentaries. So as I was buying these commentaries and talking with her, she, she proceeded to tell me her views on the Bible. And if you can imagine a lady who sells commentaries out of the back of a van, her views on the Bible were a little strange. And she said, you know, I like the Bible, it's okay, I like Jesus, and he's okay, but I got a problem with Paul. See, Paul, he's sexist, and he's a male chauvinist, and I don't like Paul. 
So I bought my commentaries and went on my way, and I didn't say much about that, because what do you say to a woman who sells commentaries out of the back of her van who has an opinion about Paul? Not much. I want to tell you that these three stories represent people who misunderstood this passage. All three misunderstood it in different ways. All three left this passage with the wrong view about their relationships. And let me promise you that as long as they held these wrong views, I don't know about the crazy commentary lady, but the, the lady who just got married, she will struggle in her marriage because she started out afraid of something that she didn't understand. This youth pastor will continue to struggle in his marriage because he sees his wife as a doormat who must do whatever he says, and they're all going to end up very unhappy. So my goal for us this morning as we go through this passage is that our relationships are strengthened because this passage isn't just about marriage, but it is about our relationships in general. And Paul here is not creating something new, but he is attempting to help the church at Ephesus to have stronger relationships and therefore be a stronger church. And so I would encourage you as we look at this to to not get caught up on some of these words because it's when you misunderstand them that you get offended and you go off and you have a party either way and you miss all of it. So let's start out here in verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Paul begins by making something very clear, that the family is a spiritual unit. Now how do we know he starts out there? Because if you go one verse back, and we looked at this verse last week, and this this last verse in verse 21 is kind of in a weird place. It is a transition verse. It takes us from what we were looking at earlier, when we were looking in verses 1 through 20, and it transitions us into these three relationships that Paul talks about. He says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a sense in the church in which we are all a part of one another. If you look back in verses 1 through 20, you see constant family language. And what we looked at last week, he he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God, what? As beloved children. He talks later about those who do not love God. In verse 6, he calls them sons of disobedience. At the end of verse 8, he tells us to walk as what? Children of light. And then when we get down to verses 19 and verses 20, he says, addressing one another in Psalms. And then in verse 21, submitting to one another. In verse 20, he calls God, God the Father. Family language. Because we're to act like a family. If you go back, sermons that we've had previously from Galatians, we've talked about being a body. We have talked about the gifts that we have in one another, the gifts that we have to teach one another and show one another love. So he comes here 
And he goes from talking about the church as a family to our individual family units. There are three reasons here that we have problems when we look at this passage. And I think problems go both ways with wives and husbands. Husbands first, why do women have problems when they hear this idea of submission? It's because men have been jerks about it. Men have taken this and tried to say that it's something that it's not. And listen, they do it all the time. This, this youth pastor really did it. I mean, I was shocked. He actually said that. I know that people think it and people act like it, but he actually said it. And so women don't want to be mistreated. Women don't want to be treated like that. And so there is, when men mis, uh, misuse and abuse this idea, it becomes problematic. Secondly, ladies, many women have bought into this idea of secularism that if you ever use this word submit, you're somehow subjecting yourself to the, the man rule thing. And that's garbage. Let me promise you that what this world teaches as equality is not what God teaches as equality. This idea that we have to have everything the same even though God has made us very different. God hadn't made us very different. If we reject the idea that God has made us different, then everything is okay. If we're all the same, then it doesn't matter who marries who. It doesn't matter who does what, because we're all the same. But God has made us very different. And thirdly, and this goes for both of us, the reason we have trouble submitting to one another, the reason we have trouble functioning as a family, is because we are sinful in our relationships. We are sinful toward one another in our relationships. We need to understand that we are not perfect and that we mess up. We need to understand that, that wives sometimes don't show respect to their husbands, that, that husbands oftentimes don't show love to their wives. And we have a problem with this because we live in a sinful world. We have a problem with this because we don't always understand what God is saying. So this is what he does. He says, submit to your own husbands, not someone else's. He says, your family is an individual unit, that the husband is to be the head of the family. He is to lead the family. But Paul here is limiting this just to spiritual matters. So maybe that's a relief. But let me caveat that by saying, if you have things in your relationship that aren't spiritually driven and spiritually focused, you've got a problem. So like if you're okay with, okay, the husband is going to be the head in the spiritual matters, but, but everything else we're going to set off to the side, well, that's, your relationship's not going to function. He limits this to spiritual matters because everything in our relationships are spiritual matters. Everything is a spiritual matter. But also, we need to look at this. Every lawful thing, wives should not follow their husbands into sin. I think this is where men often mess this up the most. They think that their wives are going to follow them into their stupidity, into their disobedience. And men, if you've got that idea, you're completely wrong. Some of you have husbands who are terrible human beings. 
Some of them may be sitting here. I don't know. It's quite possible. And sometimes, at times, they may be attempting to lead your family into a place, not that you don't think they should go, that's not what he's saying, but that God has told you not to go. He may be trying to lead you to a place that is unlawful, either by God's law or by man's law. That's where it stops. But he has made... And this is not Paul writing here and starting this idea. You go back to the book of Genesis and and God has created us that way. That's the call to submit. It may be a word you like or don't like, that's fine, but that's what the Bible uses. But there's a second part of that, and I think this is where the big mess up comes. As a matter of fact... There's some preachers, I think, that, that have these first verses memorized here. And there's some husbands, they've got it tattooed somewhere, verses 22 through 24, but they miss this. If your Bible is laid out like mine, you see this small paragraph for wives, and you see this monstrous paragraph for husbands. He says, Husbands, love your own wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, husbands, you have a difficult job because you have to both lead and love. Lead and love. And many times we will read this passage as husbands and we'll read the part where it says, lay down your life for your wives. And that sounds easy, right? I mean, I could see that. Being out with my wife and my children and someone comes up and tries to do us harm and me fighting the guy while they run away, I could see that. That's the way to go out, right? I mean, everybody's going to love you forever. They're going to say glowing things at your funeral. I mean, your wife's going to get the life insurance policy, and you went out a hero. It's awesome. It's not what he's talking about. I mean, he is talking about that, and he is including that, and you should do that. You should be the first one to get shot, the first one to get stabbed, the first one to get beaten. Yes. But he's talking about every other day of your life because as far as I know none of us in here have gotten shot or stabbed defending our kids and if you have it's a great story I don't really care Um, it's not what he's talking about completely because the hard part is each and every day when we wake up and we give ourselves for our wife see the thing with wives letting husbands lead some, some wives are cool with that. Some wives are like, yeah, you go, you go do your thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you, and I'm going to be your helper, I'm going to follow you. But there's hardly any husband who has it naturally within us to lay down our lives for our family. This passage is not about the willingness to die physically, but rather a death to self-focused priority. See, as a bachelor, when you're out on your own doing your own thing, you can just do whatever, right? Your money's your own, your time is your own, you can do whatever you want to. But when you say to that lady, hey, will you come take my last name? Will you come follow after me? Will you come live at my house? Will you come be my wife? You, you take those priorities and you say, they're gone. You take those priorities and say, I can do whatever I want to. I can be whatever I want to. I can be wherever I want to. I can do whatever it is I want to do. And you say, those have to be put to death. See, 
I don't know about anybody else that doesn't, just hearing it like that, it doesn't sound like the best thing ever, right? Especially if you're a single guy and you're hearing this, some of these youth over here, they're probably going, I'm never getting married. Some of your parents are going, I hope not. We want you to stay at home forever and live in our basement and love us and mow our grass. (laughs) Friends, if you want to show your wife that you love her, then you put to death your priority. Your priorities become focused on providing for your wife and your family. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it means making difficult decisions. Sometimes it means making decisions that your wife does not like. But if you're going to lead your family, that's what you must do. You must be willing to set down your life and lead. Look what happens when you do that. He begins to compare what Christ has done for the church to what you must do for your wife. Christ gives himself up for her in verse 25. He does so to sanctify her. He cleanses her. He presents the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She might be holy without blemish. He says in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their their own body. Look at the comparison here. We we think about our, our physical body. We think about loving it and we feed ourselves and we take ourselves places. But think about the image here. Christ is the head of the church. The church is the body. The body does not exist. It does not function without the head. It is not taken care of without the head. That is the role of the husband is to love his wife in such a way as to take care of her and sustain her. Husbands, if you look what he says there in verse 33, he talks about respect. See, I think respect is the word that defines what this submission idea is in the earlier verses. Husbands, if you want to be someone who is worthy of respect, that's how you do it. You do this by giving yourself to her completely. She has your heart. She has your priorities. He says in verse 29, For no one has hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Friends, think about how much Christ loves His church. Begin to wrap your mind around that. That Christ left heaven. He left His position with God and came to earth and died for His church. He was raised for His church. He ascended back into heaven to intercede for His church. He will come again one day for His church. There is no doubt about the love that Christ has for His church. And husbands, that's what we are called to show to our wives. That is the responsibility that we have. See, if we sacrifice, if we give our love, Our wives are nourished and cherished. The husband and wife are inseparable. They are one body. He quotes in verse 31, Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. From Genesis 2.24. He is going all the way back to Genesis, and he's saying they have always been one. And now as Christ and the church are one, so shall Christian families be. 
They don't function otherwise. The body doesn't function without the head. It doesn't happen. He summarizes this in verse 33 with love and respect. I think it's interesting. God created women to need love and men to need respect. I don't think there has been times in my life when I've been more angry and not with my wife, with just people in general, than when I've been disrespected. Like, you cannot love me all day, and sometimes I get a little, you know, I, I, get, I get excited about that. I mean, I can take that and roll with it and use it, but when you disrespect me, you know, I get angry and I write letters to the editor about you in the Hickory Daily Record. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens when I get disrespected. Why? Because that's how I'm created, to need respect. That's how each one of you husbands are created, is to need respect. And wives, if you want to show love to your husband, give him respect. And husbands, your wife wants nothing more than to be loved by you. She needs that. That's how God has made her. Do you know why our marriages fail? You know, we can trace it, and they'll trace it to money, and they'll trace it to infidelity, and they'll trace it to all these other things. It, it comes to love and respect. That's just how it works. There may be other things at the core, and there may be other things, but, but we need love and respect. We need to keep this in mind, too. You cannot wait in your marriage until your spouse gives you what you need to give them what they need. Wives, you owe your husband respect. He doesn't earn it. There's no earning here. If he is your husband, he deserves your respect. Husbands, you love your wife. Regardless of what she says to you, regardless of what she does to you, you are responsible for showing her love. That youth pastor there that we talked about that day, he couldn't get it in his mind that he was to love his wife even if she was the meanest, vilest human being on earth. Now, judging by him, I'm guessing that it was probably him that was the meanest and vilest, but he owed her his love, his commitment, regardless of how she acted. And I don't know how often that I talk to couples, and the problem is always the other person. And sometimes the problem is the other person. But on judgment day, God will not look at you and go, all right, man, why did you not love your wife? Well, she disrespected me. You know, I asked you why you didn't love your wife. Well, she disrespected me, and this won't go on long with God because he puts an end to it. Wives, it'll be the same thing. Why did you not respect your husband? Well, he didn't show me enough love. No, I ask you why you didn't respect him. Why did you not respect him? We didn't show me any love. No, why did you not respect him? We are not responsible for the other person in the relationship. We can't do anything about it. We can't make them be different than what they are. We can't make them do something else. But we have an obligation to do what God has called us to do. He, he addresses the wives. He doesn't say, husbands, tell your wife to do this. He addresses the wives, and he says, you do this. And he addresses the husbands, and he says, you do this. You want to improve your marriage? Work on yourself. Don't worry about working on the other person. You want to improve your relationships? Work on yourself. Don't worry about trying to get the other person to do something. 
Because isn't it easier, wives, to respect a man who loves you? Is it easier, wives, or husbands, to love a woman who respects you? Sure. But that's not what God said. He says we work on ourselves. We focus on ourselves. And when we do that, God is going to work through us in our relationships. You can talk more about that in lag. We'll go to the second point. Chapter 6. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kids, some of you are sitting over here, and one's in the back screaming, and <laughs> doesn't sound like mine for once. The word obey here, there's one right now that's not doing it. The word obey here is infinitely stronger and infinitely greater than any of the words that he's used before. Use the word submit earlier. Use the word love earlier. Uses respect. Obey means to do what you're told. And so, as a kid, if you are not doing what you're told, then you are not listening to God. Now, some of you, especially maybe teenagers, are thinking, you know, that's pretty harsh. Because my parents are lame. They grew up like in the 80s. Or 70s. They're old. They have gray hair. They take a bunch of medication. Surely they can't know what's best for me. You don't get an option on that. So this is how serious what he is saying is. If your parents tell you not to go somewhere and you go there, you've not only disobeyed them, but you've sinned against God. That's the way God made our relationships. Because the reality is that you folks over here know not a lot less than these folks over here. Sorry, it's true. Stay here a few years, I'll stay here a few years, you can move over here, I'll chastise your kids over here, we'll be good. We'll be back to Galatians. I mean Ephesians, sorry. That is the promise that God makes. Again, Paul didn't write this, we go back and we're talking about Exodus 20 here, when he says, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and it may, that you may live long in the land. There are two commands here. First, obey is to do whatever you're told. It's to do what your parents tell you. It's to obey them. Again, it goes the same thing here before. If your parents tell you, you know what, you're not allowed to love Jesus. Well, they can't tell you that. They can tell you, but... You're free on that one. So if your parents ever tell, ever tell you you can't love Jesus, you're good. You can disobey that one. The preacher said so. But most everything else, you've got to listen. You've got to do what they say. Because this is what God intends. Now the second part here is, and some of you may have parents like this. My parents are not believers. They would never tell me anything godly. They would not instruct me in the right way. The second part, honor your father and mother, has nothing to do with whether your parents are Christians or not. You can give your parents honor. You can give them respect regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done. Your parent may be the, the, the worst human being in Burke County. They may be locked up. They may be on drugs. Whatever it is, God has told you to honor them. But he doesn't stop there. Because, see, what Paul has done in this passage, if you look, when he talks about wives, 
Reading that would not have been something that his readers would have been shocked about. But when he talked about husbands, it would have been shocking. When he talks about children obeying, it wouldn't have been shocking to his audience. But now he talks about fathers. That's shocking. In a minute, he's going to talk about slaves obeying their masters. No big deal. Nobody thinks anything about that. But he tells the masters to listen to their slaves, to love their slaves. That's shocking. So here he does something shocking. He talks about fathers. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents over here, if your common answer to these kids is no, when they want to do anything, when they want to be something, when they want to do something with themselves, if it's no, you're living in the wrong. If you like to provoke them to anger just because you like it, Listen, sometimes it's fun to pick on our kids. Sometimes it's fun to make them do stuff that they don't really want to do, like go clean out cars and pick up garbage and do stuff like that. It's fun, but if we just do those things to provoke them to anger, we're not really doing anything good for them. Because that's completely contrary to raising them up in the discipline of the Lord, raising them up in the instruction of the Lord. That's what we should be doing for our children. We don't want you to go here. Why? Well, because you're going to go to a place where you're going to be put in circumstances and situations that I don't want you in. Because I love you. It's not where you need to be. It's not where you're supposed to be. It's not where God wants for you. That's pretty hard to argue with, kids, because then you look pretty bad. And Jesus didn't want you to go there, and you try to go there anyways. Pull that out on them. Use that. Raise them up to know the Lord to fear the Lord, to trust the Lord, and then as they grow older, you will not have to worry about the places that they're going. You will not have to worry about the people they're spending time with because you raised them correctly. Don't get to the point where they get 16 and 17 and they start acting stupid all the time because you've never taught them anything better. But rather, teach them to know God. Teach them to follow after Him. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke them. Thirdly, he talks about slaves and masters. I think one of the saddest commentaries on this portion of Ephesians is that it has been used before to justify the use of slavery. That's ridiculous. That was preachers who didn't even know what they were talking about. And if it's still being used today, it's by preachers who still don't know what they're talking about and frankly aren't saved. It's not what Paul's talking about at all. He's not endorsing slavery. He is looking at the family unit that he is dealing with in his time and slavery was a reality. And so he says something crazy. He says, first slaves obey your masters. Not that odd. He says, don't do it in eye service for people pleasing, but as servants of Christ. He tells them to be genuine in their service toward their masters. That's, that's pretty ridiculous, right? You don't really have a choice. You're a slave. You do what you said, or they beat you, or they kill you, or whatever. But he says, serve them with a genuine heart, a heart that is turned toward them, a heart that is pleasing to them and pleasing to God. The concern is to please God. How interesting would it be if when we go into work tomorrow, if our heart is toward pleasing God and not getting through the day? And some of you probably have crummy jobs. Some of you hate the place you work. You can't stand your boss. If he was in an automobile accident, you wouldn't lose sleep over it. That's how people are, I guess. 
How different would it be if you went in tomorrow and your goal wasn't to get through the day without getting fired, it wasn't to just get enough work done, but it was that your heart was turned toward God and therefore you did a great service to your employer. The shocking part of what he says, though, is when he gets to verse 9. He says, Masters, do the same to them. You know, talk about inequality. There's no more inequality than the relationship between a master and his slave. The master can do whatever he wants. The slave doesn't have rights. He doesn't have freedom. He can't come and go as he pleases. He can't even take his life into his own hands. He has to do whatever it is that the master says. And yet Paul says here, Masters, do the same. All these things that he's mentioned in verses 5 through 8, do the same to them and stop threatening them. I'm going to beat you if you don't do this. I'm going to sell you if you don't do this. I'm going to split up your family if you don't do this. You're going to do this or I'm going to threaten you. He's threatening them. He says, stop doing that. But realize this, that both of you actually have the same master. Their master and yours in heaven are the same. And he shows no partiality. Friends, I think that's what we can take away from this passage. God wants us to have strong families. He wants us to have spiritual families. He wants our husbands to lead our families with strong minds, with spiritually discerning thoughts. He, he wants that. It's what He's called us. It's how He's designed us. But He's also shown us in 20, verse 21 and then here in verse 9. That God doesn't show partiality to us. That God has brought us together. See, these passages, they get used to divide people. As a matter of fact, those relationships, I'm sure in Paul's day, were dividing people. But that's the furthest thing from what God wants. See, if you look back into chapter 5, and you look at all of these things he says about us being children of the light and imitators of God and fleeing from sin and, and running toward God and being awakened, he realizes that when that happens in the church, that it can play out in our families. That our families can be strong. Our families can, can follow after the Lordship of Christ. And when they do, God will do an amazing thing in our family. And yet how sad it is that the evil one has taken these verses and has used them to divide us. Used them to cause us strife and cause us difficulty in our family. When God designed them to bring us together. When God designed us as families to function in such a way as to bring him glory. See, we get caught up in words that we don't like. We get caught up in the world telling us that, well, if you do this, that makes you less. Or if you do this, that makes you more. And we have to have this or that to be together or one. Or we have to have all of this. And, and that's garbage. Because what God has done is designed us to be a family that loves each other. Here as a church, as a church family, as we love each other and function together, as we, as we do what God's called us to do and as we use our gifts. And then as our individual families, as we leave from this place and in places where husbands and wives love each other and children are, are brought up in the Lord and are shown the ways of God and in that we become strong. 
I want to promise you this. I believe that Satan himself is out to destroy our family. And when he does that, through whatever means, as he destroys the family and our families, he can have victory. He can gain victory in our life. And he can, he can make every attempt to, to win this battle that we're going through. Some of you have broken families. Some of you have families that are going through great difficulties. I look at my own family and I see, I see brokenness. I see people hurting. Know this, that God has designed us to be together. And his goal is to bring us together and strengthen us. And if we let anything stand in the way of that, if we let anything divide us in that, then we're allowing the evil to win. We're not overcoming with good. And when we do, we're going to be worse off for it. So let me encourage you, as we get ready to go into this time of invitation, I would just like to invite you, with your family, with your kids, if they're in here, to, to get together and to pray. To pray that God would do something great in our family. That God would bring your family closer together. That we would have husbands who would lead, who would lead in the Word, who would lead in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would have wives who would who would, who would love their husbands, who would respect their husbands, who would lead in their family in teaching their children God's Word, who would help out their husbands in His role, who would encourage Him as He shows love to, to His wife and His children. Would you gather with us as we, after I pray, that we would call on God to strengthen our family and to show us His love. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the day that you've given us. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, I thank you that we do not have to go alone. God, but rather you have called us together. God, you've called us together as your body. You have, you have made us one together with Christ. God, the, the goal of the enemy is to divide us, is to hurt us at every pass. But God, I'm thankful that we can stand strong. God, that we can fight against anything that's thrown at us. God, that you'll just show us your love and mercy. God, as we pray during this time, I just ask that you strengthen our family. God, whether they be God, whether they be thriving or whether they be hurting or whatever is going on, God, my hope and my prayer is that you bring us strength. God, that you show us your love during this time. And that God, we feel your presence. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Whatever your family looks like this morning. However, God has brought you together. Know this, that he loves you very much. That he, he wants the best for your family. He's not concerned about what your family has been. What he's focused on is what your family can be. And so as we have this time of invitation, I want to encourage you, whatever family you've got around, grandmothers, grandfathers, children, that you'll gather together, and that you'll pray that God would strengthen your family during this time. Yeah.
Well, I'm glad that you came out this morning. And I want to mention one thing as we get ready to go. If you are here and you, you don't have family that comes to worship with you, family that, that follows after God, don't forget this. Before he ever talked about our units that we go home with, he talked about our family together. That in this room, we're to be a family. Some of you might be the crazy uncle. Some of you might be the cousin that, you know, you're that cousin. But it's not a family without those people, too. It's not a family unless we're all here. It's like the family reunion you have after someone has passed away. And you focus on them because their spot is missing. That's the kind of family we need to be. That we know what God is doing in each other's lives. We know how God is working. We know what is going on. And we're a family together. So remember that if you're here and you've got no one else that you go home with. When you're here, when we're together, we are family. And when we go out, we continue to be a family to each other. Let's work to be that. Let's work to have that in our fellowship. I want to pray before we're dismissed. I hope that you'll stick around for life application groups and Sunday school and that you'll continue to think about God bringing us together as a family and that that'll be our goal is that when people look it up, they see that we're one in Christ. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the day you've given us. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And God, I just ask that as we God, as we go out from this place, that we go out with our hearts excited because, God, you bring us together. God, you show us your love. God, you help us each and every day. God, help us to be a family. God, help us to be joined together. God, help us to go through this fight that we go through in this world arm in arm with each other. God, help us to be the body as you are the head of our church and we are the body who functions as one. God, help us to see you move. Help us to see great things happen because you bring us together. God, we praise you for who you are and what you've done this morning and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.